DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Here we go. We start another brand new week on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Yet again, I can say at the start of the week, another consequential week for Georgians in state and local politics as well as national politics. Um, I mentioned at the very top of the show that AJC polling, uh, the first polls that we've seen from uh, uh, any organization since the runoff elections, since the siege on the Capitol, uh, at the, as Donald Trump continued his assault on the integrity of the election. And um, it's, it's really got a lot. It's a robust poll with a lot to unpack. I suppose the headline is that uh, Georgia Republicans uh, seem to be in a weaker position, at least according to the poll, than they have been in decades. About half of the people polled said they have a positive view of Democrats, only about a third said the same about the GOP. We're going to talk about that and a lot more in this polling with our panel today. Plus, yes, we are going to have to give you updates on what's happening with Marjorie Taylor Greene. There are developments in that story as well. So let's introduce the panel and get started on today's show. Jim Galloway, former AJC political analyst, is with us. Uh, Jim starts what you're Third week of uh, sort of retirement, Galloway? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I'm starting to loosen up a little bit. Just, you know, the anxiety <laughs> dreams are, 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 are kind of going away. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not always wondering what I'm, what I'm going to put in, in, into the next day's column. Oh, my God. Do I understand how, what a relief that might be? All right. Just, I'm glad you're loosening up. Just don't get wild and crazy on us on the show, Jim. Please. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, we're joined also today by Heath Garrett, Republican strategist and frequent panelist on the show. Heath, how are you doing? Bill, I'm great. It's good to be with everybody in this distinguished panel on a Monday morning. Um, I'll be interested in hearing uh, how you interpret some of the uh, polling numbers, which do suggest that Republicans are facing some interesting challenges in the next couple of years here in the state, and uh, we'll do that in just a minute. Uh, we're joined, too, by Dr. Audrey Haynes, political science professor at the University of Georgia and the uh, overseer of the Applied Politics program at AJC, which is a terrific program that Audrey put together to help students find jobs in politics. Hi, Audrey. Hi, Bill. It's great to be here today. Are you... How are you doing with classes right now? Are you teaching remotely? Are you in person? How are you protecting yourself? Well, the administration put out a call for um, face-to-face classes this semester because students were asking for them. Some want to continue online classes, but there's some who want to go face-to-face, so we're trying to do it very safely. In fact, I'm teaching my um, propaganda and politics class in an auditorium built for over 300 students, and I have... 45 students in that class spaced out wearing masks. When I say spaced out, not because of lecture, spaced out socially distancing. Just want to put <laughs> um, Propaganda and politics. You could not ask for a more timely class to be teaching, uh, Audrey. And thank you for 
being with us. And, and I, I, I wanted to save for last a first-time uh, panelist on our show, State Representative B. Wynn, who was elected in a special election in, I think, 2017, I've got that right, B, and now holds Stacey Abrams' former seat in the General Assembly. Uh, B, you are also, I think, I'm the first Vietnamese American elected to the Georgia General Assembly. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. And I would like to say for the record, I want Jim Galloway to go wild and crazy on this call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, B, because it's your first time, I want to say a few more words about you. Um, you were, uh, you know, there's no way you could have escaped politics. You were born, I don't think you spent much time there, but you were born in Ames, Iowa, which of course is one of the centers of uh, national politics every four years. Ames is right up the road, about 30 miles or so from Des Moines. It is a center of enormous activity, presidential candidate activity during the uh, uh, caucuses uh, there. But then I think your family moved to, you grew up in Augusta, ended up at Georgia State University. And you at one point, I think what, about 10 years ago or so, founded a program which uh, centered on working to help uh, raise self-esteem among girls in underperforming uh, communities. Have I got that right? You have that right. I always say that if I ever decide to run for president, I can go back to Iowa and say, welcome to my home state, y'all. Um, <laughs> and I have been to the Iowa State Fair. The last Iowa State Fair food I had um, was the fried food of the year, which was a fried stick of butter. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I I can't even I can't even tell you how many Iowa State fairs I went to with various presidential <laughs> candidates over the years. I, I feel your pain, B. All right. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're really glad to have you thank here. You. Uh, let's get started. Jim, I think you and I agree on one thing. This AJC poll conducted by the University of Georgia is really one of the most wide-ranging and intriguing surveys of Georgia opinion that we've seen in a very long time, yes? Oh, absolutely. Look, uh, uh, just the basics, I think 848 uh, respondents, registered voters, and uh, a margin of error of 4.2%. Uh, but uh, uh, to me, to me, what this is, you know, you know look, uh, polls are not static things. Uh, this, the situation is very fluid. Everything could change. But what this shows is is some trouble ahead for the GOP if the dynamics that dominated the January 5 runoffs, the two Senate runoffs, if they stay in place. Uh, it, it, it basically takes that template and applies it to 2022. Yeah. Um, all right. There's so much to unpack. We can start almost anywhere. Um, but as long as you mention that, let's, let's start with what the poll says about uh, 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 Brian Kemp right now. And numbers aren't very good on the radio, so I'm going to talk in broader strokes, if that's all right with everybody. Let's just say, Heath Garrett, that as of the taking of this poll, which was, I believe, last week, um, Brian Kemp is only in the low 40s when it comes to approval rating. And I think a lot of and it and that includes how Republicans feel about him. And that comes just as he's starting to put together a 2022 reelection bid. Um, He's got his work cut out for him, if this poll is correct. 
Uh, Bill, that's exactly right. Uh, we as Republicans do have our work cut out for us. Uh, obviously, we just came off one of the most divisive statewide races in Georgia history, one of the most polarizing. Uh, to have two Senate uh, seats go up in a special election like that and a runoff. And on top of that, we had the President of the United States, who we, I've said many times on this show and continue to say, whose, whose main virtue was to be disruptive. And he has disrupted the Republican base. He has disrupted the Republican Party in Georgia. Uh, and we have to come to grips with that as a group. There's some good, num good news in here for Brian Kemp uh, in the sense that his first hurdle was the question whether or not he would be primaried. It does look like he's still in a very strong position uh, to win that primary, given the fact that he was whipsawed by the president and others during the last uh, eight weeks. Um, but there's, And the other good news for him is that a lot of that disapproval is coming from Republicans who will come back home over time. But yes, there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, Governor Kemp has started that process, but uh, we're making the job easier for Democrats right now as we divide ourselves. Um, you know, Audrey, if, as long as we're talking about uh, President Trump, uh, Trump's numbers in this poll uh, have plummeted, uh, even among uh, many Republicans. And uh, here's a question that uh, the pollsters out at your university asked. As um, the House of Representatives voted to impeach President Trump for the riot that took place at the U.S. Capitol, do you agree or disagree with this action, meaning the, uh, the impeachment vote? 51 percent overall said they agreed that President Trump should have faced this second impeachment. Only 46 disagreed. So, again, interesting news for uh, Republicans in this state who have for a long time been steadfast in their support of President Trump. Well, and, you know, uh, the interesting point about that, too, is he has seen a drop, and that drop has come not only— um, it's come from within his party and from independents, too. And even though he does better than Kemp— um, for example, right now, he still has some solid support from the core of sort of the Trumplican base, but it has eroded. And the most interesting fact to me as I was looking at this was that Georgians are very strongly um, uh, acknowledging the fact that there was no voter fraud. I mean, and that that number has to include a significant number of Republicans and independents, too. And I think part of that is from the messaging that we've gotten from our leadership. So even though Kemp uh, has had has lukewarm support, um, you know, at the same time, he and Jeff Duncan and Raffensperger are probably the ones who are most responsible for the fact that Georgians acknowledge that there was no widespread fraud because they messaged that consistently. Um. B, uh, you're welcome to take on any of those things that you heard or add this to the mix. Um, Stacey Abrams, who everyone expects is going to mount a challenge to Kemp again in 2022, uh, she kind of, by a very slim margin, I think she has around 51 percent of people in this poll who approve of her, who who like Stacey Abrams. Um, but, but again, it... That's a number that, that suggests that the Republicans have got to be really, really careful and energized if they expect to uh, really uh, control the governor's mansion again in 2022. Yeah, I'm not surprised about Stacey Abrams' favorability or the fractures within the Republican Party. We've been watching that unfold um, across the state of Georgia, and obviously the numbers show with the presidential election 
there, you know, have to be a number of Republicans who chose not to vote for Trump and voted for Biden instead. And then we see January 5th with the two Senate races, um, you know, the the with the two Senate races specifically, you know, I was on the ground in DeKalb County that day and did talk to both Republican and Democratic voters. On one hand, Democratic voters were excited. They were energized. They were celebrating the opportunity to go vote for these two Senate seats. And the Republican voters I talked to were incredibly angry. They did not want to vote. Um, and, you know, they just were just not happy voters. <laughs> Yeah, Bill. Just to to to, to B is making a great point, uh, and 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 you can measure that in the poll. Uh, and I think one of the more concerning numbers, if you're a Republican, has got to be the Republican attitude on 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 where the nation and where the party is headed. Uh, you you'd mentioned earlier that that you know that uh, that that uh, a good majority of of. Uh, of the, the entire voting pool has a dis, disfavorable uh, opinion of the Republican Party, but that that extends even to about twenty percent of of Republicans themselves. And then there's the right track, wrong track, uh, which is which is which is just absolutely fascinating. Eighty six percent of Republicans say the country's on the wrong track. Uh, this is this is a very far cry from say the 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 the, the optimism of the Reagan era. And and I think that's that's something that's going to have to be corrected if 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 uh, Republicans are going to maintain their 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 hold on the state. Um, Heath, let me ask you to weigh it. Well, Audrey, go ahead. You you make a point, and then I've got a question for Heath. Well, I was just going to follow up and say that you know one of the problems with a polarized electorate and a polarized party is that when you look at these questions without follow up questions asking why and looking at saliency and so on, you know, very often someone will say the country's on the, I don't like Republicans, and they're thinking primarily of Republicans in office, not the whole party. They may not like um, Brian Kemp at this moment, but they really like, say, Jim Jordan or somebody else. I mean, it, it's something that you really have to tease out um, and, you know, take into consideration. So, you know, there's more to learn from these numbers. These are general tendencies that you're absolutely right are very suggestive, but they don't tell us the whole story. Uh, Heath, I think it's fascinating that the single most Republican, off, uh, most popular Republican officeholder, according to the poll, is Brad Raffensperger. He's up there at around 60 percent. The, pro the problem is it's Democrats. Or I'm sorry. He's about 60 percent among, I think, Democratic uh, respondents <laughs> to the poll. Not so popular among uh, Republicans, Heath. No, no, that's exactly right. And look, I think, you know, we all know polls are snapshots in time, and we are still very close to one of the hottest, most polarized group of political events we've seen in this state's history uh, and in the country's history, at least in the modern history. Uh, I do think there's some good news in there for a Brian Kemp, a Brad Raffensperger, Jeff Duncan, and Chris Carr in the sense that they have, because of their stances uh, on the election fraud issues, been able to start to attract some independent swing voters. And I think that over the long haul uh, will be helpful. We talk on the show all the time. We wish Republicans would reach out, you know, and vice versa. And so Brad Raffensperger clearly has got a little bit of a leg up on that. But I do think that there are underlying uh, numbers in here that should cause us Republicans not to panic. If we go back to the Johnny Isaacson, Nathan Deal, Brian Kemp, Reagan, core philosophy, uh, these Republicans will come home 
uh, as once we move as slowly move away from the personality politics of uh, Donald Trump. All right, but here's a question, and I'll start with you, Heath, and I'd love to hear the rest of you on this. Um, Heath, this poll, one of the, again, reasons it's so interesting is it is the first poll in the state since the Trump effort to undermine the integrity of the election. Um, this poll suggests that Trump's behavior, uh, whether it's the long campaign uh, to say the election was a fraud, the speech he gave on January 6th, which many people believe, and now he's facing a trial in the Senate for inciting an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. These numbers suggest that that behavior has had a negative impact on how Republicans uh, in this state uh, are responding to Republican office holders and uh, Republican issue. Okay. And yet, Heath, um, we see that Republican elected officials, certainly in Congress, are terrified of the idea of breaking free from the president. This is a strange uh, dynamic that you're going to have, your party's going to wrestle with in the next couple of years. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. The, we, we call it the whipsaw effect, right? You know, as, as you appeal more to a uh, Trump-oriented base, uh, again, which represents probably 10 to 20 percent of the Republican Party, very active, very energized, uh, you're losing the moderate to independent, you know, lean Republican voter on the other end of the Republican spectrum. Uh, and we're get, you're getting whipsawed if you're an elected office holder, uh, and it's going to take time. Uh, our members of the House, because they come from gerrymandered districts with a lot more Republican uh, base in them, are trying to figure out walk a very fine line right now. Those who uh, follow the lead of the Johnny Isaacsons and the Nathan Deals and the Brian Kemp are going to find themselves in a better position in 18 months. But there's no question that there's some uh, native instincts and some that are causing them to not understand that they can stand up to the Trump uh, kind of personality stuff and stick with his policies, but without his personality. B? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing is, you know, we don't know if the Republican Party is going to move back to the Johnny Isaacson model. Obviously, there are attempts to do so right now. Um, and I think that January 6th was a pivotal point in which the Republicans, some Republicans, finally began to speak out against some of the things that had led up to that event. Um, there are a lot of my colleagues who have been silent about the election, even though behind closed doors they admitted they did not think the election was stolen. And then January 6th, we saw the insurrectionists. And that is when they started to denounce the violence. And I think that was a turning point in which uh, Republicans began to lose even more of their uh, members. But the problem here is you do have members of Congress um, as well as, you know, singular members of the state ledge um, who are going to continue to embrace Trump. I mean, you know, we don't really we're going to talk about Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Greene, I think, later on, but she is a a prime example of somebody who continues to attach her name to the president, who continues to add oxygen to this fire, who continues to rally that base. And if she, if we cannot, if our country allows her to have that airtime, I don't see how Republicans are going to be in a space where they can go back to the Johnny Isaacson type of Republicans. 
Yeah, and uh, Bill, this, uh, to, to, to follow up with, with on on what B just said, is the 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 the, the problem and 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 to what Keith Heath was saying, the problem for Republicans is that Donald Trump is showing no signs of 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 disappearing from the stage. And 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 uh, he, he's he's for right now in Georgia. He's forming this alliance with Marjorie Taylor Greene, and that is going to keep that 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 kind of that uh, uh, the the lost cause uh, portion of the uh, of the Republican Party uh, alive. And you know, to me, one of the with one of the more dangerous things I think, if if you're a Republican, one of the more dangerous things will be uh, is is coming. Uh, we we get in a sense from the impeachment trial. That Donald Trump wants to continue uh, the 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 stolen election claim. Uh, that's he he fired a whole whole raft of of lawyers uh, uh, late last week uh, on on that issue. He's got soon he will be if he's not already he, he's going to be raising money for a a a presidential library. And I think we can all guess what the theme of that library is going to be. It's going to be the lost cause of the stolen election. And that that could, that that's going to prove a rallying point and a very very just just a a wedge issue for Republicans for the next couple of years if it goes through. Um. All right. I want to move on. Uh, this is all fodder for conversations that we're going to be having on this show in the weeks and months ahead, obviously. Um, but I'd love to turn to another aspect of this poll, which presents uh, some immediate. Uh, Act actionable items. Uh, B, let me start with you on, on this. Um, the poll uh, asked, the, the University of Georgia asked Georgians um, whether they support a proposal that you'll take up in the, in the state legislature requiring photo ID or other kinds of documentation for those who want to cast absentee ballots. And um, a majority of voters said yes. They believe there should be additional safeguards to assure that there's no election fraud. Of course, it's interesting because we saw after three recounts there was no election fraud in Georgia. And yet this point, a lot of it made by Republicans that we'd better be make, make sure that, that people are voting honestly and legally when they send their mail-in ballot in seems to have made an impact on people. How does that affect how you and other Democratic colleagues are going to approach the voter ID requirements that are being proposed this session? Well, you know, on initial glance, um, I did read the wording as it pertains to requiring ID for the absentee ballot. I think the other documentation clause is really critical in how a voter would read this. So, for instance, the proposal that has been introduced on the Senate side requires sending in a copy of your a valid photo ID twice when you are applying for your absentee ballot and then when you drop the ballot itself. If you were to ask any voter, do you believe we should photocopy, scan, print, a copy of your driver's license, stick it in the envelope in the mail twice, I don't think the answer would be the same thing. First of all, nobody wants to put in a copy of your photo ID in the mail um, because of, you know, potential issues with identity theft. And second, if we were to ask voters, what about just simply, as the Secretary of State's portal did before, enter your driver's license number on the form, would they support something like that? So I think the phrasing is a little bit um, 
skews the answer to that. And then, you know, I think also if voters sort of really understood the process by which we are doing absentee ballot voting and understand the security, the security already in line, it would also skew um, the results of the survey. All right. So, Audrey, I understand the point that B just made. Um, it, and and, and it, it's a position that, you know, Democrats are obviously uh, going to be embracing as they move forward. At the same time, uh, this, yeah, the Senate bill, which requires you have to show your photo ID twice, first in applying, second when you actually th- uh, turn in your ballot, is probably is going to be a bridge too far for many people. Nevertheless, they're going to end up having to, to negotiate on this, Democrats and Republicans, probably, on some form of voter ID requirement. And it does strike me that this poll does give Democrats some reason to be uh, a little bit more mindful of the fact that uh, that people in this state really do want to make sure mail-in ballots are secure. Yes. Well, you know, it, think about the way the questions are phrased, too. So, um, you know, the first question is, do you, basically, do you, do you want your voting to be safe. Well, who's going to say no to that? You know, that question sort of inflates and invites um, that kind of an answer. The question on the poll that really gets to what you had been saying earlier about the impact of the the fraud narrative, and the, or and I would say the false fraud narrative, is when they ask, which, which one of these are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about limiting options for voting, or are you more concerned about ineligible voters getting, you know, access to the ballot? And the numbers were 55% were concerned about ineligible voters, and only 34% were concerned about limiting options. And that tells you that that narrative has permeated a bit. It's not just a, a, a response. And and so, but I would also tell Republicans that you know they need to be careful. You know, everything they do in the short term. Um, is going to affect them for the long term. And some of those voters who are likely to be more paranoid about putting their driver's license number on there in the mail are perhaps some typical voters who tend to be Trumplicans. So, you know, what they really need to be concentrating on is making voting safe, secure, and accessible. Uh, he's yeah, getting no, a I- quick answer before... Well, no, I think that just, uh, Audrey's exactly right. But I also think this shows what we've seen in polling for the last decade, that voter integrity is an issue that crosses over the party uh, lines. And there is a strong majority in favor of that. And if the Republicans stay narrowly focused on this voter ID issue with absentees, I think they're going to have a lot of success with it. And the big question is, do we overreach and go beyond that? Because I think that's where we could get into some trouble. But uh, I think that Governor Kemp and the leadership have a good plan here and a popular one. All right. I know we're late. I know we're late for a break, but uh, uh, I, I do want to, before we go to a break, uh, I don't know how many of you were watching SNL Saturday night, but Georgia had a pl- prominent role to play in the show two times. Uh, we're going to play a little bit of their take on Marjorie Taylor Greene in a little while. But before then, um, we're going to listen to a piece of a sketch they did called Blue Georgia, which uh, took place in a little cafe somewhere in uh, Georgia, probably South Georgia. And uh, John Kuczynski, as the guest host of the show, comes in with Pete Davidson to the Assembled Georgians 
Pete Davidson wearing a Syracuse sweatshirt. Let's listen to SNL's take on Blue Georgia. Hey there, Miss Crystal. Well, Sheriff, ain't you a sight? I just wanted to stop by so y'all could meet my cousin Lee from out of town. Well, look at you. Where are you coming from, Lee? Uh, New York City. <gasps> New York City? Well, welcome. Good to see a fellow blue stater. We're just like y'all. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you're just like us. Oh, no, you bet we are. See, Georgia's all blue now. Maybe you heard about our election on the news. <laughs> well, uh, so what are y'all having? Well, I heard a lot about Southern food, so just uh, give me the special. Okay, you got it. One avocado on gluten-free toast. <laughs> and I'll have your Beyond Meatloaf. You got it. Hey, uh, before we eat, uh, I should wash my hands. You know where the men's room is? Yeah, it's back in 2015. <laughs> we don't have a men's room, but the alt-gender restrooms is just down the way. Oh, you guys have a alt-gender restroom? Uh-oh, Sheriff. I think your cousin thinks we're all crazy Christian types. Oh, no, no, no. I, I never said that. And even if you are, it's fine. I mean, I'm Jewish. Hold on. You're Jewish? Uh, yeah. Well, I hope you know what we do to Jewish folks down here in Georgia. We elect them. <laughs> yep, I don't know if you heard, but we got a 33-year-old Jewish senator now. Mazel tov, y'all. <laughs> Whoa, that Osaf fella makes this shicks a blush. <laughs> SNL's take on Blue Georgia. We'll be right back uh, with more on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Representative B. Wynn, Professor Audrey Haynes, Republican strategist Keith Garrett, and Jim Galloway on today's Political Rewind. Uh, Audrey, uh, Greg Bluestein had an interesting piece that he posted on the uh, AJC website this morning. A uh, group of uh, Republicans uh, here and nationally have started a Stop Stacy organization. Uh, the group, uh, Bluestein reports, was formed by allies of, of Brian Kemp and former U.S. Senator Kelly Leffler. This is even before uh, Abrams announces she's running. But they're talking about mobilizing conservative supporters, raising money across the country for anti-Abrams ads. And uh, basically their message is... Uh, and this is a quote, we will do whatever it takes to expose Stacey Abrams' radical network, highlight her dangerous agenda, and ultimately defeat her and her left-wing candidates at the ballot box. Well, first of all, Galloway, let me start with you. That's a message that just failed for Republicans in Georgia in the January 5th runoff elections, the radical socialist agenda. It's interesting they're still sticking with it moving forward. Yeah, yeah, but it's but 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 uh, but think of it this way, uh, Bill. You've got a Republican Party that's split uh, between the the pro-Trump and the move-on faction in the Republican Party. Uh, how do you unite them? You 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 focus on on the the out uh, the outside the the outsider threat. 
That's how I and 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 the fact that uh, this is the 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 email that uh, I got on this was it came from Stephen Lawson. He was the 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 kind of the the manager comms director for the, the for the Leffler campaign. But it tells you that 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 there is thinking there that the way to unify the GOP, uh, the the Georgia GOP, at least in the short term, is to focus on the threat of Stacey Abrams. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, you know, even though that message failed to get some individuals elected, it helped them raise quite a bit of money. So, you know, they're targeting and um, they're in it early. I mean, they, this is what you do when you are thinking about a competitive election that is coming on. And I would just follow up that, you know, back to what we were saying about voting and this legislation, if they do uh, create legislation in the state house that looks at all like there are racial overtones or that there is voter suppression. They are simply giving Stacey Abrams the oxygen that she needs to run a very strong campaign in the state. They absolutely should be scared of Stacey Abrams, given her performance in 2018 and the national name that she has built for herself um, across this country. Everybody knows who Stacey Abrams is, and she's instrumental in the 2020 and the 2021 elections. And, you know, I don't understand the messaging around this radicalism because, as we saw in the Senate um, runoff elections, the least radical candidates got elected. And so to put Leffler at the table with Kemp, I'm unsure of how Republicans will be able to unite under that umbrella because we're going to continue to see those fractured uh, divides between the party. And, and it is you know, when you have Republicans fighting against each other because there's an allegiance to one person, Trump, versus the party, and everybody outside of that umbrella, um, you know, is considered a rhino, I just don't know how Republicans are going to be able to move forward, given that um, you're going to continue to have that same radical right faction undermining all of the things that other Republicans are going to campaign on. And quite frankly, as I said before, Republican voters that I talked to in January were very angry voters um, because they have lost faith in the election systems because of the misinformation and the lies around election security. Heath, uh, you're certainly welcome to weigh in on any of what you just heard, but I want to add a, a layer for you also. I mean, uh, Georgia's not blue. SNL's gone a little overboard with that, as funny as it was, but—, but it is certainly purple, and the uh, runoff election makes it clear that Georgia's elections in 2022, 2024, are going to be of enormous national significance. So, among other things, Heath, are we once again going to see a campaign uh, for governor and others—governor's campaign that's going to raise hundreds of millions of dollars, a Senate race, Raphael Warnock— uh, having to run for that seat for six years, uh, money's going to come pouring back into this state in unheard of amounts again, isn't it? Absolutely, Bill. We're, we've said this on the show before, but we are a battleground state uh, for statewide elections and for presidential elections, at least for the next decade, which means that and that with this email this morning that we're referencing and uh, the Stop Stacy group tells uh, me, number one, Republicans are trying to focus on their uh, common enemy and, and they're focused on the right person, the person who's dramatically had the most impact on moving Georgia into a purplish uh, category over the last, she's been working, Stacey Abrams has been working at this for eight years. And so, and I do think uh, that Audrey's point, this nationalizes 
Stacey has nationalized the Georgia races by raising hundreds of millions of dollars nationally and bringing it to Georgia to change our election uh, turnouts. And Republicans are going to have to match that. And it, it at least is a nice, respectful recognition of what she's accomplished and that uh, this is going to be a two-year effort for us as Republicans. But uh, we as voters uh, can't expect a flood of outside money. Raphael Warnock's seat will probably help determine the majority of the Senate in 2022. Uh, and then uh, Governor Kemp is going to be the number one target of Democrats uh, around the country in the governor's races. And so here here we go again. Uh, and I think it's going to be this way for multiple election cycles Um because both parties really are getting closer to parity. But I, but I, but I'll tell you, uh, Bill. Uh, at least in this, let's let's say in, in the in the next twelve months, we're going to see Republicans focus on Stacey Abrams, but we're going to see Democrats really hone in on Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump. She, uh, uh, they're going to be they they are going to be interchangeable because as much as 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 Republicans are using Abrams to to unify themselves, uh Democrats are going to be using Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh and Trump to to uh to drive uh, drive a wedge through the middle of the party. Audrey, you want to weigh in? Yes, you know, traditionally every every party picks the best um we call it the Satan uh, of the opposition party, the one that they can uh, generate the most fear, worry, concern, anger, and, um, you know, just uh, worry uh, uh, to to raise money. But strategically, one of the things that we've seen this go round is that in a lot of what the talking points of the Democratic Party have been, have been talking about policy, what we can do for you, what the party's going to do for you. And a lot of what the Republicans have been saying is, we just want to stop the other guys. We've got these problems. And I think that we're going to see Governor Kemp recognize that for him to win, he needs to bring in those independents. And we're going to see him talking more about policy and what he's done um, and using his sort of stand against Trump to kind of win those over. If he can get through the primary, you know, um, and, and he is going to be competitive because they're going to raise a lot of money. They have some really talented people working for them. They've got a pack that's set up that I think is going to be very active. Um, you know, it will be a competitive race. Georgia is going to be competitive in this next governor's race, and it's probably not going to be 4 or 5%. It's going to be more like 2 or 3, if that. Uh, uh, B, obviously, Audrey, like a lot of us, was paying attention to Governor Kemp's State of the State speech, in which he did set a much more moderate tone, did suggest that perhaps he understands that to uh, win the next election, he's going to have to uh, present ideas and policies that he thinks can draw in people beyond the Republican base. Um, it, it's not as if he's not going to be a formidable opponent for uh, Stacey Abrams. Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, Republicans in the legislature overall understand that there has to be a more moderate tone. And there has been messaging on the Republican side about more bipartisanship. Um, but to Audrey's point, you know, when you run campaigns, based fairly on attacks and fairly, um, you know, on stopping something versus offering voters an alternative. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. We know that people need health care. We know that uh, families are struggling and need stimulus checks. And, um, you know, there's a lot of economic disparity as well as racial unrest in this country and in, in this state. 
Um, I don't know what policy propositions Republicans are offering. And all of this nonsense around insecure elections, we know there was no voter fraud in Georgia that has been said explicitly by um, the governor, by the secretary of state, um, by lieutenant governor. And here we are giving all of our energy to policies around voting that would make it more restrictive instead of really thinking about what Georgians need in this current moment. Heath, you got uh, one away in? Oh, a- absolutely. Uh, look, I think that Audrey, uh, you know, nails it. And, and B actually uh, gets around to it. We, we, as Republicans, we lost those two Senate races because we didn't appeal to a broader positive agenda. The votes in the state are growing in the suburbs. Johnny Isaacs and Nathan Deal and Brian Kemp win when they have a positive message going after independent college-educated women and men in the suburbs. That didn't happen on January the 5th. Governor Kemp's got a plan to make sure he appeals to the whole state of Georgia. Okay, I got to get to a break. We'll be back with more after these messages. Fourteenth District Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to remain in the national headlines this week because Democrats have a privileged resolution that will probably be debated on the floor of the House by midweek, calling for her ouster from Congress. Um, I told you a minute ago, if you didn't watch it, that SNL had two sketches about Georgia. You heard Blue Georgia a little while ago. Here's Kate McKinnon playing the host of a show called What Still Works?, and Cecily Strong as Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're going to pick it up as Marjorie Taylor Greene by Cecily Strong is in the middle of spouting at least one of her conspiracy theories. Here we go. Oh, and this is a new one that just came out. I think that the California wildfires were caused by Jewish space lasers. (laughs) So there are lasers in space that cause wildfires and the lasers identify as Jewish. (laughs) Yeah, correct. And those are real things you believe and tell other people about? Mm-hmm, yeah. And you're a U.S. representative? Mm-hmm, yeah. You represent the U.S.? Mm-hmm, yeah. People can Google you and it'll say she's a real member of the U.S. government. Well, that might not be the first thing that comes up, but yeah. And when your colleagues found out about all these hateful and psychotic things you said, what did they do? I was promoted to the Education Committee. Um, and that's SNL from Saturday night. Of course, one of the things that uh, some uh, Democrats and some Republicans are going to get on board with this, too, are suggesting is she be stripped of her uh, committee assignments uh, rather than being uh, ousted from Congress completely. Jim, here's what's, but here's what's important about this. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the legally elected representative of the 14th District of Georgia. The will of voters does have meaning uh, in this country, not to say that we can tolerate someone who spins anti-Muslim, anti-Semitic, threatens uh, members of Congress, wants this, you know, likes a tweet that says Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats should be executed. And here's Jim. The Rome News Tribune had an editorial about this. Um, And this is a brave move for them, really. She said, they say, among other things, we're essentially struck without representation over the next two years. 
Our veterans need help with the VA. Our disabled and elderly need help with Social Security. Our children need help getting into service academies. A member of the minority power can huff party can huff and puff and introduce as many bills as they wish, but those bills will go nowhere if they can't get the votes. A new member of Congress has got to earn and build consensus, and the uh, Rome Tribune says we are stuck without representation for the next two years. Jim? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's unusual for a, for, a, for a newspaper to come out with an editorial like that so soon after, after a member of Congress has been sworn in. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was elected uh, by, by the voters of the 14th District. That doesn't oblige the House Republican Conference to give her a spot on a committee, though. Uh, that's, that, that's one point. Uh, you also have uh, 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 John Cowan, the Republican that she, that, that she faced uh, in, in last year's primary, considering, uh, already considering a 2022 challenge uh, to, to, to Greene. Uh, I think, t- to me, the... the 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 dilemma for Republicans is really going to be outlined this week, in in the uh, the the attack that uh, the, the 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 effort in the Republican conference in the in the U.S. House to to strip uh, uh, Liz Cheney of her of of Wyoming of her leadership position because she voted in favor of impeachment of Donald Trump at the same time they're raising up and defending Marjorie Taylor Greene that's that's a really definitive action a, a, a comparative action that i think republicans really need to be concerned about Heath well look uh, you know i've worked for Johnny Isaacson for the last 25 years and it's really difficult for most Republicans to defend Marjorie Taylor Greene and these conspiracy theories that she has espoused. Um, look, the, the founding fathers set up the House of Representatives to represent the transient emotions of the masses. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're fascinating time. She is the duly elected congresswoman from that district. And full disclosure, you know, my wife's newspapers uh, include the Rome News Tribune, and I do think it was the right thing for that editorial to come out and to start to do that. I think you see Republicans start to say, we can't handle the damage that she's going to do, uh, you know, to the organization. And uh, we'll start to call balls and strikes with her even more so than ever with Donald Trump. She is not Donald Trump. Let's, let's be clear. She doesn't have that kind of control. But she, she, there are people who she is a symptom of their frustration. Uh, with their plight, with their lack of feeling of having a voice in government. And so we've got to be able to, as a party, handle that and deal with it in a more mature way than we are right now. And, you're, and Jim's right. If, if we're going to kick out a Liz Cheney and promote a Marjorie Taylor Greene, the party is not going to sustain majorities very long, either in the state of Georgia or in the nation. B, um, here, here's the thing. Uh, the things that Marjorie Taylor Greene says go, go, go far beyond partisanship. This isn't a question of, oh, um, Democrats think that she's offensive and Republicans are uh, saying everything she says is fine. This isn't a question of people in the media, journalists saying, oh, well, we've got to have a, you know, a balanced approach to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, she is beyond the pale. Uh, but we have yet to hear Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy says, I'm going to talk with her this week, the minority leader in the House. This is, Galloway put it right, I think, B. We're going to see where Republicans stand as a party this week in the U.S. House. 
Yeah, and you know, we we passed or we dropped a resolution to um, urge Congress to ask her to resign in the Georgia legislature last week, and the Republicans um, agree that they do not support her and they think that she is dangerous to our state and our country. Um, not one person was willing to put their name on that resolution. Um, so we'll see what happens. But in the interim, you know, she has said that she has, I think, $1.6 million in her campaign account. And so um, as she continues to push conspiracy theories and attach herself to Donald Trump and um, give the base a reason to um, keep her around, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about having somebody like her. And then we, we do need to learn what happened on January 6th and exactly what kind of role she had with the attempted coup. Um, and we're still waiting to see accountability, uh, not only for her, but other members of the Republican Party who were involved with January 6th. And, you know, it's just a really different environment. If we were to do something like that at the Georgia State Legislature, we would surely be stripped of our committees or chairman. Well, we don't, Democrats don't have any chairmanship, but we have seen Republicans get stripped of their chairmanship um, most recently on the Senate side for continuing to peddle um, the misinformation about a stolen election. Yeah, this is really amazing. I mean, it harkens back to some of the things that we saw in the 1800s when things were really crazy in Congress. And, you know, we would think that we would have progressed and um, sort of moved beyond. And I think, again, I've said short-term consequences and, you know, long-term loss. Republicans really have to think hard about how they handle this and, and perhaps do the right thing. Because let me just tell you one of the things from the survey. Young people are, are not really excited about the Republican Party. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the reasons. You know, uh, young Republicans do not identify with her rhetoric at all. Or, and um, the growing uh, number of, um, you know, college-educated uh, suburban women. You know, and again, this is a consequence of working a base like this and using a base like this. If you use it and you depend on it, you are beholden to it. And that is problematic. Um, uh, Bill, I've so, so I've, yeah. Go ahead, Heath. Well, I just say I've said for the last uh, eight years that Republicans in Georgia we have a gender gap, we have a diversity gap, and we have a generational gap. And unfortunately, Marjorie Taylor Greene exacerbates all of those gaps for us as we talk about statewide races and where we have to go as a party. And the other thing is, we as Republicans can have no quarter for white supremacy. Uh, you know, ethnic uh, division and and the types of things that uh, showed themselves on January the 6th. And I think you're going to see more Republicans uh, with courage standing up and starting to, and to call that out. Well, well, I think this week will be a test of exactly what Heath Garrett is saying, uh, despite what uh, B just said about the fact that the uh, it, 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 the legislature, Republicans didn't want uh, to uh, pass a resolution that condemned uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm glad Heath Garrett mentioned white um, supremacy, white extremists, because tomorrow on the show we're going to look at where the white extremist, the white supremacy movement stands here in Georgia, in the United States, with a special group of panelists. I'm really looking forward to that conversation and hope you'll all join us for that. B. Wynn, Audrey Haynes, Heath Garrett, Jim Galloway, thank you for a really 
uh, a terrific conversation today. It was great to have you all with us. B, you've got to come back. We enjoyed having you on. In the meantime, we're out of time for today. Until I see you tomorrow, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear maybe two masks, according to the latest recommendations. See you all tomorrow. Bye, everybody.